we have to transition our fossil fuel industry, not shutting it down, but addressing the climate change issue and the fact that this transition represents a huge economic opportunity for the state. This is Energy Cast, and I'm Jay Downhauer. Today we're talking about Louisiana's emerging role as a leader in carbon capture and storage. Now, I'm a little biased. I grew up in Louisiana. My parents are from there. They met at an LSU football game. My favorite part of that story is they were the other couple's dates. <laughs> Look, I root for Louisiana, and I want to see it succeed. It is blessed with some of the best oil and gas in the country, and as my guest today explains, that underground geology may be good for storage as well. In the past year, several high-profile carbon and capture projects have been announced in Louisiana. They're not all power projects. There's a liquefied natural gas project and another to produce blue hydrogen from natural gas. But it was the project today which really got my attention. First, it's a power plant. As the former executive director of the Clean Coal Technology Foundation of Texas, this was the dream, a power plant that captures and sequesters nearly all of its CO2. In many ways, this site in central Louisiana is a unicorn. At 12 years old, it's one of the newest solid fuel fossil plants in the country. And just for clarification, it burns mostly petroleum coke and a little bit of coal, but is similar in almost every way to a typical coal plant. This plant is also located directly above the zone they plan to inject the CO2. In nearly every other CCS project that's ever been built or considered, CO2 had to be piped hundreds of miles away. That said, its third benefit is that there are existing pipelines close by. And that brings us to the most interesting part of this announcement. My guess says early indications show there may be multiple levels of geology under the site for storing CO2. To help make the project more attractive, they could store CO2 from other projects from other states. There's also conversations about building direct air capture units around the plant. These DAC plants would capture CO2 out of the atmosphere and sell the reduction credits on the market. As you heard in the cold open, Louisiana is a huge carbon producer from its oil and gas industry alone, yet it also has an abundance of room for carbon storage. It's this combination that could see it become a leader in CCS for years to come. My guest today is Bill Conway, General Counsel and Chief Compliance Officer for Clico Power, an electric utility based in central Louisiana. Bill is also serving as the Development Officer for the project we're discussing, a 900 million carbon capture retrofit of their Madison 3 unit, located at the Brame Energy Center. Bill clarified that MAD 3 is the largest point source of carbon for power in Louisiana. Again, there's a lot of oil and gas produced and refined there in the Pelican State. I jumped on the opportunity to talk to Clico about this. They made the announcement in April at Clico's Brame Energy Center. And what was fascinating about that press conference was the unusual amount of bipartisan support from state leaders. Here's Republican Senator Bill Cassidy. We can look at Louisiana where we're on both sides of the climate change discussion. We have a coastline which is melting away and an economy which depends upon a high carbon intensity workforce. Now here the governor, Democrat John Bell Edwards. 
it isn't just the companies who are going to want to be able to sequester their CO2 here at this facility who will take advantage of this electricity. It's any CEO who wants to put a manufacturing facility or some other facility where they can take advantage of this so that they can say that they're meeting their internal goals to decarbonize. Uh, so this is about economic development as much as it is about uh, climate change. Both giving equal importance and concerns about the environment as well as the state's delicate economy. Diverging a little bit, Bill and I discussed a concern I had about the lack of solar power in Louisiana. I think you'll find the interview refreshingly honest for an electric utility. I wouldn't expect anything less from a fellow LSU alumni. <laughs> I hope you enjoy my conversation with Bill Conway. We're here with Bill Conway, Chief Counsel and Chief Compliance Officer for CLECO. And Bill, Madison Unit 3 is the single largest CO2 emitting point source in Louisiana. I'd assume it was a no-brainer to target that for a carbon capture project. So what finally brought that whole plan together? Sure, it was a no-brainer. It's the single biggest emitter of CO2 within the electric generation sector in Louisiana. There's a lot of external pressure to do something about CO2 emissions. Madison 3 is a very important unit to us. Shutting it down would be, in many respects, economically catastrophic. And so we had to do something. It's not an easy undertaking to say you're going to be putting a $900 million plant on an existing plant. But yes, I think it was an easy choice to make that we would undertake this project. What finally brought that together? What finally was like, okay, now we're going to capture CO2? Jay, you've probably seen this independently. Within the last two years, this is the way I put it, world capital has made a decision that global climate change is a problem regardless of what governments decide to do or not to do. And I see it as involving two things. From one standpoint, when I say world capital, I mean equity investors, the debt markets. There is a strong consensus that this is affecting the value of investment investments going forward. So just on a pure dollars and cents basis, it may be long term, but something has to be done. But I think it's a convergence as well, because uh, we're all human beings. And a lot of these same people who are making decisions about equity and debt around the world also are thinking about their children's children's children. And so there's been this sort of convergence of concern over this. And we are one of many companies around the world that are realizing seeing these pressures and we have to do something about it. Right. And so the announcement was that we're going to capture carbon at this unit. You discussed the need to do what's called a feed study for the project. I believe that's an engineering front end. At front end engineering and design. Yeah. Does that include the engineering for the geology use? I assume that's already been characterized. And um, so they're pretty confident sure, about that. Sure. Yes and no. Typically, the way the term feed study would be used, you wouldn't be including something like geology. But here you might as well functionally because it's very important. We have a good feeling for the geology, but we are not finished. We are actually actively in the process of progressively greater and greater detailed characterization and modeling of the reservoir. We have high confidence that we have great geology below us at the Brain Plant, which is 6,000 acres. And the issue is a progressive one of saying, okay, you think it's within these bounds, and the more data you get, it's an iterative process where over time and modeling, you get more and more confidence about what is the actual number out there. 
So this is a process that's actually underway. We know the number is large underneath us. We know the geology is superb. In fact, we may have the very best site in the whole state of Louisiana. I know more geology now than I ever thought I would, but um, (laughs) it's a really excellent site for storage. Yeah, and I think that's probably one of the most frequently characterized geological areas in the country. I know that there have been a lot of characterization studies that I think Southern States Energy Board has been parts of. So you know a lot about what's going on in those rocks. We do. Because of oil and gas exploration, the geology of Louisiana is very well understood. And the process of geological characterization is made easier by the fact that there's so much data out there, both public and then private data as well. We've already licensed private sites data that happens to be right on target for BRAME. And so all these analytics are ongoing as we speak. Yeah. And so, Bill, for the layperson here, how much room is really down there for storage? And I think you're also talking about maybe storing other people's CO2. For third party. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, the geology below us, let me just first say, (laughs) this is where you'd rather be lucky than good because As you probably know, most people contemplating CCS projects are having to go some geological distance from the source to find storage. And so you have the additional capital cost of a pipeline. We have this great advantage of perfect geology right below the plant, which makes Project Diamond Vault really a compelling proposition. As to how much, highly confident we got at least the remaining lifetime of MAD3 emissions down there. Decent probability there is more. And yes, third-party storage is a consideration because we could need more storage. We just don't know. One of the things our characterization work is being done by Battelle, who did some of the original foundational work on CO2 storage geologically. They have, among other things, pointed out to us that we have not just one, but actually three suitable geological strata below us, which among other things raises the possibility, and it is only a possibility, but of stacking plumes, if you will, which if that is feasible means we got conceivably more storage than we could ever need for us and for third parties. But this is ongoing. So bottom line to your answer is we got a lot. We don't know exactly how much, and we're finding that out right now. Yeah. And I think, look, I think that's smart business as well, because not only can you take a storage fee, but you've already built out the compression infrastructure for that. You know, that's right. The incremental cost of storage for third parties is not nearly what it is to get the project up in the first place. Third party storage, we've said publicly, is a value stream that we are very much focused on and we think it has large potential. Yeah. So I've spoken a lot about enhanced oil recovery as a way to monetize carbon capture and storage, carbon capture utilization and storage, and make a project's financials work. This is storage only. So that still works financially. Kind of explain what the financial incentives are to only storing it. You're not monetizing oil, right? Well, the the big one is if you're not doing carbon storage for product creation, in other words, enhanced oil recovery, the tax credit is $50 per ton rather than $35 a ton for enhanced oil. So if you're just doing storage, you have a much larger value stream coming off of your tax credits. And as I understand it, that increment difference between whether you're doing EOR or you're just doing storage was quite intentional recognition by Congress that, well, if you're just doing storage, you're not getting the value stream coming out of the oil. So it should be higher. And in our case, 
45Q tax credits will be the single biggest capital component of our capital stack. And as we've said, to fill the capital gap for the remaining cost of the project, we'll be looking at a combination of either DOE grants, and there is programmatic authority appropriations already in place for those, or private equity investment, and some nominal investment by Clico itself, although we're kind of rate constrained in our ability to put our own capital in. This may be spinning too many plates at once, but you're centrally located between the Haynesville shale and offshore oil. Enhanced oil recovery for Louisiana wasn't a consideration? No, because our fundamental issue is Madison 3's emissions. That's what's driving it. And this is why we're such a good storage site is lots and lots of geological exploration that's historically occurred around us. Not a lot of oil and gas, virtually none in the immediate area. Yeah, it's always Um, so so weird. But it's kind of like, yeah, you want to be doing storage where there's tons of knowledge about what underground looks like, but there's no oil and gas. Because one thing that as we talk about what's it take to get permitted for storage, one of the issues that comes up in the colloquial usage of the business is you don't want to have too many straws in the ground, meaning you don't want a whole lot of dry hole well stems out there because that raises risks that on an individual basis have to be addressed in terms of potential leakage or CO2 escape. And in our case, again, if I recall correctly, don't hold me to this, within a four mile radius, I think we have exactly two capped wells in the area. So as these things go, we don't have much of a problem with that. Yeah. I was very surprised to find out that you were also talking to a company that wants to build a direct air capture facility near the site. Would they pay you directly? Would you two share in the tax credits? How do you see that? So tax credits are a value stream. And keep in mind, to get the tax credit, you have to both capture CO2 and store it. So whoever's providing storage has a conceivable commercial negotiating lever, get part of that 45Q value stream. But to answer your question, if we have a direct air capture unit sited at the property, they would both pay for the storage. And the other thing to think about is direct air capture units are big consumers of energy, and that has to be clean energy, because if they're taking dirty energy to take CO2 out of the atmosphere, the two wash against each other. It's not a net difference. So a DAC needs to be using energy that is not CO2 emitting. But the economics of DAC, they need to run 24-7. So they need effectively 24-7 baseload clean energy from a CO2 standpoint. And that's what we would provide. Now, I say clean. With our facility, we expect to achieve a 95% reduction of CO2. So there is an increment left over. But keep in mind, value of most people looking at DACs is to sell carbon reduction credits into things like the California low carbon fuels market. And so that is a mathematical calculation. It's just sort of you calculate what's the carbon intensity, what's the reduction in carbon intensity. So the fact that we don't address that last 5% is not absolutely critical. And there are ways for us to do that if we have to. Yeah. And one of the things I was thinking was you got a DAC unit there, consumes energy. It could almost be used as an accordion for curtailments. Now, I don't know what Clico's story is, but I just heard a story that California in the first four months of 2022 has curtailed a terawatt hour of energy from renewables. And so it seems like maybe this could be a sink for low demand, right? Yeah, although we're not going to be able to 
take California energy here, there is always the prospect that marginal benefit of running any unit is actually exceeded by the marginal benefit of dropping that unit off the grid, reduction in demand, therefore increase in supply and selling the energy that would otherwise be consumed for general use on the system. And it's just a supply and demand issue. So that's right. Yeah. So I figure it's probably a little bit too early to be talking about a pipeline that would be coming to bring other people's CO2 to the facility, right? Discussion, I mean, too right? soon. We definitely have it in mind. We think the geology at Brame is good enough for us to become a storage hub for third parties. But it's not too soon to talk about. We do not intend to be building pipelines. But, you know, Louisiana is crisscrossed with existing pipelines. We've been in conversations with multiple parties about this. Some are actively talking about repurposing existing pipes, simply converting them from use of natural gas to moving CO2. There are operational constraints on the extent to which you can do that. Others are simply observing they got existing gas pipelines, or for that matter, oil pipelines, and they own right-of-way. And so the difficulty of constructing a new pipeline when you've got the existing right-of-way that will accommodate that is not as bad as you might think. So we are talking to various parties who are in that situation and who could conceivably bring CO2 to us. I think this speaks more, Bill, to a larger story about Louisiana. I think they've already announced at least two other major carbon capture projects in Louisiana, specifically with the goal of the sequestration component, which we led off on this discussion about, but it's so critical, right? And I think yes. that that's something that Louisiana can do very well and really something that people need to take notice of that these projects are starting to be announced right here, right? Yes, very much so. And there's good reasons for it. I don't know if you happen to see the speeches by by Governor Edwards and Senator Cassidy at our project announcement, but the two of them both did a really excellent job of sort of synthesizing what the vision should be for Louisiana in this area, because there's a couple of hard facts and it points in one direction, which is we look to the South, we see the loss of coastline, at least some of which is related to climate change. At the same time, we are a fossil fuel economy in this state, and we've got large sea CO2 emissions. And we have, I think by DOE's assessment, far and away the best geology, better than any other place in the country as far as I know. So we've got the storage capacity in the state. So it is kind of a no-brainer to say there's one way for us to go, which is we have to transition our fossil fuel industry, not shutting it down the way some people would say, but addressing the climate change issue. Not only that, we have the means to do it through geological storage. Not only that, even for those who hopefully there's not too many of those, but people who don't believe global climate change is an actual problem, nevertheless, have to take account of the fact that this is where the world is going and the fact that this transition represents a huge economic opportunity for the state. Senator Cassidy and Governor Edwards emphasize this point. There is great things that are going to be happening economically as a result of all of this investment. And all the facts compel you to look at a strong CCS future for Louisiana as one of the principal ways that we address climate change. We're good at cleaning up after ourselves, I guess you could say. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, circumstantially, it's the facts on the ground that drive you there. And it's a good solution. No, I'm with you. I just want to ask one quick diversion question. And this is really about Louisiana, not Clico or any sure. of the other utilities. But you look at a heat map of 
all the solar power that's been installed across, especially the Sun Belt of the United States. And Louisiana is just strangely absent from that conversation. What's the reason for that? Why is there such low solar penetration in Louisiana? I'm not sure of the historical reason why we may be a little bit behind, but I can tell you that there is white hot solar activity in Louisiana. We are aggressively, and by the way, all the focus on CCS should never be taken as the notion that we are not equally ardent about renewable power. We are. It's just we have to be doing both. I can tell you that Clico itself is aggressively pursuing solar alternatives, but so are other utilities, both large and small in Louisiana. And if you happen to look, MISO is the regional entity that runs the transmission system. And generally speaking, solar facilities have to interconnect with that system. And there's a whole queue process for doing that. So you can get a sense of what interest is there in Louisiana simply by looking at the MISO queue for a solar interconnection, I can tell you when you look at that map, it's crowded with projects. And Clico certainly determined to be right in that mix with acquiring solar resources. You bet. It's always a head scratcher, right? Because Louisiana is sunny and it's flat, <laughs> right? Yeah, no, you're right about that. And it's not in terms of the amount of solar radiation we get, it's not as good as, say, the desert southwest, but it's still pretty good. I will tell you, we are deep into the economics of it, and it definitely pencils in. It is a valuable resource, and we're doing our best to get it for our ratepayers. This is a question that I'm going to try to be very delicate about, but I want to point out maybe one of Clico's advantages here. I know we're not supposed to talk about other utilities, but I want to make a point. The two other utilities serving Louisiana are American Electric Power and Energy big national companies. And I'd have to think that Clico's size, maybe its ability to be nimble, had something to do with you guys being able to put together a project as complex as this. Those are very good companies who are strong competitors. We certainly make a great effort to be nimble because we don't have the heft of those companies. So we have to make it up in terms of being able to move quickly and we hope adeptly to take advantages of the opportunities we see. It didn't sound like it took a lot of years of going back and forth. It sounded like this project just came together. That's an interesting question, because I know what you mean. A lot of times these big projects have been on the drawing boards for years before there's even a real concrete step taken. I would say in our case, we simply don't have the choice to sit back. Yeah, It's too imminent. The writing is on the wall as far as we're concerned for a plant like Madison 3, unless we address this issue. We have to act and we have mm -hmm. to make it now and we have to make it happen now. Sort of that's the attitude we bring to day-to-day -day life around here and we hope it will be successful. Yeah, I always love Louisiana politics because it's like <laughs> Democrat governor, Republican senators. It's just a little bit of everything. And North Carolina is the same way. It's a split state like that. I saw your press conference and all those different viewpoints. Bill Cassie did bring up a good point, And I think it's one that you've touched on earlier is this idea that, look, Louisiana is a fossil producer and also potentially a CO2 sequester, right? Yeah. So it's a marriage that has to come together. You know, something else that was clear at that event was this strategy strategy, which absolutely encompasses renewables for sure, but the strategy of fossil fuel transition through CCS is very bipartisan. I do not see this. We can't see this as a political issue. I think I'm fond of saying, you know, I spent a number of years working on the Hill and it really occurred to me over time that the merits do have their own politics. Also, there's the phrase, the, you know, the naivete of cynicism. We shouldn't be so naively cynical to think that the actual underlying merit that everybody agrees upon that doesn't serve as a basis for action. And I think this CCS 
Louisiana, particularly what we're facing with Madison 3. This isn't a partisan issue. This just makes sense. This is good for our ratepayers. It's good for our owners and it's good for the state of Louisiana because among other things, the economic investment is going to be rather large and it will actually move the needle here in central Louisiana. Well, it sure seemed to be a whole lot of bipartisan cooperation, and I think that's very refreshing to see. So, uh, Is it, you though? Know. The world used to be that way. Yeah, yeah. Who would have thought? <laughs> All right. Bill Conway, Clico Power, thank you so much for your time. Jay, thank you very much. We're very excited about this project, and thank you for taking the interest in it and letting us talk a little bit about it. That was Bill Conway, General Counsel and Chief Compliance Officer for Clico Power, a Central Louisiana electric utility and developer of the Madison 3 Carbon Capture Center. I want to thank Bill for his time, as well as Fran, Phoenix, and Jennifer Cahill at Clico for setting this up. You can find plenty of pictures for this episode on energy-cast.com, as well as on Instagram and Parlor at Host Energy and Twitter at Host Energy Cast. All guests are sent the wrong completed audio the week of release. So far, no complaints. Be sure to leave us a positive review on iTunes. That gets the word out. Music was produced by Sean Stroop Stroop Loops. That wraps up episode 138. Be sure to join us next week. We learn how not all fuel cells come in small sizes. Until then, I'm Jay Downhower. We'll see you next time.